You're listening to Artistic Finance Show 91. On today's show, we discuss how to fight climate change using retirement funds. Our guest is Alex Wright Gladstein, creator of SPFFX, a mutual fund that mirrors the S&P 500 index without investing in fossil fuels. We discuss the SPFFX expected returns and expense ratios, where to invest fossil fuel-free, and how to ask your 401k provider to provide a fossil fuel-free option within your retirement plan. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Before we start today's interview, I want to mention a couple of things. This is my first recorded segment since Russia went to war in Ukraine. We have had two Russian guests on this show that I'd like to provide updates on. Elena Notkina, the dancer from episode 15. She returned to live in St. Petersburg last fall. Daria Vergizova, the choreographer from episode 15.1, is still living in St. Petersburg. Both are safe, and they're living their lives in relative normalcy, continuing to dance and choreograph throughout the war. I wish them both the best and hope they stay safe. If you have Russian friends here in the U.S. or wherever you live, be sure to reach out and check in on them. It is complicated being Russian or Ukrainian right now, and it's downright scary. So if you're able to take some time, do check in with them. In the outtakes for this episode over on Patreon, I play a short voice memo from Elena's husband, Alex, who I checked in on a couple of weeks ago when this all broke out. Find that voice memo and the outtakes from today's show at patreon.com artisticfinance. Also in today's episode, our guest mentioned an article they wrote on medium.com. Now, since we recorded, she has published another Medium article titled How Your Retirement Fund May Be Supporting Russia's War in Ukraine. Find links to those articles in the show notes. A reminder that none of this is financial advice and neither of us is a financial advisor by any stretch of the imagination. One last thank you to our patrons who are keeping this show running with their monthly contributions. You guys are my favorite people in the world. Now, let's get to the interview. Welcome and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ethan Steimel. We are recording this on February 18th, 2022. And I just saw the designer run of A Day in Hollywood, A Night in the Ukraine, which will be opening at Theater Row on Thursday. And yesterday I saw the designer run of Have You Seen Gary Foster, which is a new play by Kat Agudo, which will open Wednesday at 80 Greenwich Street down in Battery Park. I'll be designing the lights for both of those, but enough about me because today is about you. It is the perfect day for you to check that you are on target for your saving and investing plan for the year get that system set up and running because it can take a day or two to set up, but it's going to run for 30 years. So imagine yourself in February of 2052. Hamilton has started its 37th year on Broadway. You're in retirement or close to it, and you blink twice for the computer in your brain to update you on your retirement account that you've been contributing to since now. So just imagine the gratitude that your future self has for the young whippersnapper you 
that started saving today. And if you're listening to this and you plan to be dead by the year 2052, I love you and it was wonderful having you on the planet. And please consider becoming a patron before you go so that you can leave a positive mark on this world. Go check that you are automatically saving and that those savings are being invested. Because if you're not investing, you are dying. If you don't know what to invest in, go listen to our episode 88 with LNS Artur, where we go through her 401k options, which will be similar to any 401k plan options. Now, one thing lacking in Elena's choices was an ethical fund. She wanted to not invest in gun manufacturers. Unfortunately, there are 13 or so gun-related companies within the S&P 500, so Elena wasn't able to be as ethical as she would have liked. But today, we have a solution to the ethical investing in one regard, and that is with climate change. And we're all aware of it. We know it's an issue. And if you learned to read and write in the 90s like I did, then you have never lived in a world where the term climate change or global warming didn't exist. And we as a planet are semi-resigned to the fact that our grandchildren are not going to have a Bangkok, an Amsterdam, or a New Orleans. There is a silver lining to all this inevitability. And that is that many scientists, activists, and good humans are prioritizing ways in which we can slow and even reverse climate change. And one of those people is Alex Wright Gladstein, CEO of Sphere, which is a company and movement to get fossil fuels out of 401ks and is providing the tools to make that happen. And we happen to have them with us today. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. First things first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I have been passionate about preventing climate change my whole life, really ever since my seventh grade science teacher got me into environmentalism, and I couldn't stop thinking about it since then. So I've just been trying to find ways to make a difference and prevent global warming from happening since then in various ways. I started a company called IR Labs that makes data centers and supercomputers more energy efficient by using light to move data between chips. When running that company, I came across this issue with 401ks because I wanted to offer an option to our employees that was climate friendly in our 401ks since it seemed like a no-brainer for our company and ended up realizing it wasn't so easy. It wasn't as easy as just asking our providers to do that for us. And it ended up taking over three years to get a single climate friendly option in our 401k plan. I was just shocked by how long it took and how hard it was. And so um, I started diving down the rabbit hole of trying to figure out why is this so hard and talking to a lot of people in the 401k industry. And I ended up learning that there are some real systemic issues that make it hard to put fossil-free options in 401ks, but none of them are insurmountable. It just seemed like no one had tried to make it easy before. And I realized I could do that. So that's why I started my second company, Sphere. Fantastic. And I and I love the solution you're providing just because I work in theater. I'm a lighting designer and my job exists to use electricity. I'm always looking for ways that I can make up for the fact that I'm turning on a bunch of lights all the time. You know, I honestly think we need to do away with that guilt. Electricity is not bad. It is not the problem. And we shouldn't feel like we have to give up on the comforts or the, you know, honestly, the necessities that that help life happen in the in the modern world. There, there are plenty of solutions. There's plenty of renewable energy solutions out there. It's not for lack of technical solutions that we have this problem. It's actually for other reasons. And so you shouldn't feel guilty about 
about using lights every day. I think that's a beautiful thing that you do and uh, you should keep doing it and we shouldn't have to do anything to make up for that. I, I love that perspective, especially- you I, Just vote with your dollars. That's the biggest thing you can do. I also love it because all the cryptocurrency and Bitcoin people listening are like, yes, yes, Alex is saying use the electricity. It's true. I think the same is true for Bitcoin, honestly. Bitcoin is a hugely useful thing, saving lives around the world, honestly. There are people who wouldn't have control over their money otherwise. It's the first time that they have control over their transactions, I think that's hugely valuable. And we shouldn't be saying, oh, because of the energy it uses, we shouldn't have this invaluable service to the world. No, I think that's the wrong way to think about it. We can use renewable energy to power that crypto mining. And that is the world we should want to live in. I also love that perspective because we did a whole episode on cryptocurrency. And I don't think we even mentioned unbanked people, un underbanked people. Three more questions to get to know you before we get into this fossil fuel issue. Um, your demographics. Can you describe your demographics for us? I am in my mid-30s, white, married from the U.S., though with a, a French mom. Grew up in both the U.S. and France. So I grew up in San Diego, but spending a lot of time in France. And education. So I did my undergrad at Tufts University, which is outside Boston. And then I got an MBA at MIT. And that's where I met my co-founders for my first startup, Fire Labs. All right. Amazing. What is a live event that you like to experience as an audience member or a piece of art that you like? I love musicals, I have to say. I grew up singing a lot and I sang in my high school choir uh, and I play violin. I grew up playing violin, so just love hearing violin and participating, especially in, you know, with small groups of other people playing like chamber music. Uh, and then in terms of visual art, I've always just been drawn to paintings that do interesting things with light. At uh, the most simple, you can imagine like um, the Impressionists, Monet, you know, how the light, um, you know, there's there's that painting of the cathedral he painted four different times in different at different times of day. I love that type of thing, just seeing how different light really impacts how we see things. Anything to do with light draws me in. Oh, I love it. Oh, you're speaking my language here. <laughs> oh, yeah, I am. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, Okay, so if you like musicals, so if we're alive in 2052, let's go see Hamilton in its 37th year, shall we? It's a date? I am there. Definitely a date. <laughs> All right. Now your financial personality. Are you good or bad with money? I would say I'm good with money. Uh, and I don't think it's something that came naturally. It actually wasn't something my family talked about really at all growing up, like how to be good with money. When I got to college, I was just kind of interested and um, ended up taking some classes in economics. And that taught me some of the fundamentals about, you know, interest and compounding interest, those types of things, which I realized, oh, I can apply that to my life. Um, so it's kind of been a slow learning process over my life. But I would say compared to the average, I'm relatively good with money. All right. I mean, already things you've said make me think that. <laughs> so fantastic. So now on to, well, I'll call this ethical investing, but we had a previous episode that was fully on ethical investing in the stock market specifically. That was episode 78 with lighting programmer Chris Lose. And we learned about something called ESG funds. The moral of the episode really boiled down to us making a Sophie's choice about when it came to investing money in the market or being ethical. That was my takeaway was it's really hard to put money in the market and be ethical. And so it's a balance that we can never really be ethical enough for us to be completely happy in a utopia, but we were happy doing more than zero. Um, but again, still not happy that that incremental sort of difference we might make um, by investing in sort of vegan funds and stuff like that. 
As a refresher, Alex, can we start with ESG? I think only our most faithful listeners are going to remember what ESG even stands for. So can you just explain what it is, what does it mean, and does that matter to us and this conversation? Yeah. Uh, You know, I was new to that term too. When I was asking our providers of our 401k at IR Labs for a climate-friendly option, the answer I would always get was, oh, let me look at the ESG funds we have available. And I was like, uh, what does that mean? You know, and looking it up, I learned that it stands for environmental, social, and governance fund, focused funds. The thing is, what that actually means really varies depending on who you're talking to and who is managing the fund. It can be interpreted really any way, and there's no standard definition of what ESG means. But people either think it, it means any fund that has anything to do with the environment or social good or governance. Other people think it has to focus on all three of those things. And there are a million different methodologies for coming up with ESG focused funds. But the interesting thing is when I said, I just care about climate, I got funneled into that conversation, even though I wasn't talking about the broader thing. I was just saying, hey, I just don't want to invest in Exxon and Chevron. We're actively working to protect the world from climate change in my company. So it seems like a no-brainer that we probably shouldn't be investing in the companies that are actively lobbying against climate legislation that would keep us safe. But you know, the answer I kept getting was, oh, let's, let's look at the ESG options that are out there. I also tried to provide a definition of ESG on this show, and I gave sort of a similar answer to you, which was, uh, it's people trying to do the right thing, (laughs) which is very vague and and not measurable at all. Um, Why is it that ESG, like, why aren't there standards or is there a solution to that? Why is it so hard for there to be ethical funds? You know, the U.S. government right now is trying to start to put some standards in place for that. So we'll see if that starts improving over the next year or two, because there's, you know, the reason the Biden administration has a focus on this is because it turns out there's a ton of what's called greenwashing, where there are funds that are labeled as ESG, but when you dig into it, it turns out they aren't actually doing much of anything that's good for the planet or people. And so they're trying to just really firm up, you know, what is the definition of this? And let's let's prevent people from being able to label a fund as this when it's not actually ESG. All right. So now Sphere, what is Sphere and how is it helping with this ESG issue? Or is it? Yeah. So when I was looking at this and I ended up realizing, okay, it just seems like no one's ever tried to make a climate-friendly option in 401ks before. Is this something I should work on? You know, is this a company I should start? Does this even make sense to try? Uh, a big part of what I racked my brain trying to figure out was what's the actual impact of doing this? You know, if we all invest our money in a more climate-friendly way, how does that actually translate into helping climate change? And what I was really focused on in particular was divestment, because there are different ways to invest in an environmentally friendly way. And actually a more common approach than what we use at Sphere is this kind of overweighting and underweighting approach where, for example, let's say you take the S&P 500, the top 500 companies in the US, look at every industry. You then assess every company in that industry for what their carbon footprint is. And then you say, anyone who has a worse carbon footprint, we're going to invest slightly less in. And anyone who has a better carbon footprint, we'll invest slightly more in. And that's a really common approach. You know, they kind of 
a lot of asset managers take that approach and apply it for every industry specifically. For example, BlackRock put out um, a climate-focused fund that takes that approach. So they still invest in Exxon and Chevron. What they do is actually a little bit nonsensical in my mind when it comes to the fossil fuel industry, because they'll say, okay, what is the carbon footprint of these companies in their extraction operations? If a company emits less while they're extracting fossil fuels and refining them, et cetera, then they'll invest more heavily in those and then less heavily in the ones that, that emit more, which to me misses the point. Like the, their entire business is extracting fossil fuels and they devote huge amounts of money to lobbyists who lobby against climate legislation that would keep us safe. Why are we working around the edges here? It doesn't seem like it actually has any impact on climate change to take that approach, but that is a very common approach. To me, that wasn't good enough. I wanted a fossil-free option. I wanted to stop giving my money to the companies that are the biggest polluters in the world. Fossil fuel companies are responsible for 74% of the emissions in the US. You know, the reality is if we weren't digging up fossil fuels from underground and burning them, climate change wouldn't exist. Sure, it's a complicated issue. These companies would love for us to think that it's super complicated, but it's actually really simple when it comes down to it. If we stop burning fossil fuels, we'll be okay. That was something I was really focused on, but I wasn't convinced that stopping investing in fossil fuel companies entirely would actually help climate change because I thought, okay, what happens? You know, let's go back to the fundamentals of economics I learned in Econ 101 in college. You stop investing in a company, what happens is demand goes down if you have enough people who are agreeing to not invest. And then ideally, the stock price of that company goes down. Okay, great. But then what? Maybe it makes it harder for them to raise capital to invest in doing more oil exploration. What I realized was, you know, there are already enough known fossil fuel reserves in the world to screw the planet over multiple times. So it just didn't seem like that big of an impact to make it harder for them to do more exploration or you know do a few things. It didn't seem like it would solve climate change, which just has a ton of urgency around it. We have seven years left before we hit one and a half degrees Celsius of warming. Seven years, it's a really short amount of time. So we need solutions that will scale quickly. And I didn't wanna be working on a company that was working around the edges. Uh, so I actually was trying to ignore this idea and be like, okay, 401ks, it's annoying that there's this misalignment where the majority of Americans are worried about climate change. It's actually over 80% of Americans are worried about climate change today. Over 99% of Americans who have retirement savings are invested in fossil fuel companies. And it really bugged me that there's that misalignment, but I was trying to ignore the problem as I thought divestment won't create large scale change. But it just kept nagging at me because I hated that misalignment, you know, what people care about with how they can actually invest their money. I just kept thinking about it and I ended up realizing, you know what, maybe we can do more than simple divestment. Uh, you know, divestment is just a term for uh, removing investments from uh, the fossil fuel companies. So maybe it can't, we can do more than just removing our money. Maybe we actually give fossil fuel companies a roadmap for what they can do to earn our investments back and try to incentivize behavior change that way. I thought, okay, that that's a pretty cool idea, but what could they possibly do to make me feel comfortable investing in them? Because they already do good things. You know, they've been investing in renewables for a while. They have all these ads we see all the time about algae-based fuel and all these kinds of things. So, you know, it's not that they're not doing good things. It's just that they're not moving fast enough. They're, you know, if they stay on the track they're on, we will blast through the one and a half degrees Celsius limit that we have seven years from now. So we need them to move a lot faster in that transition. How do we get them to do that? And I realized, you know what? It all comes down to legislation. 
there's no way that we're going to change the systems that we live in in society around us until we decide as you know a human the human race on earth <laughs> that we want to and we haven't really decided that yet when we put our minds to something we're really good at accomplishing it we decided to put a man on the moon and we did human beings are incredible when it comes down to it the problem right now is we haven't decided to turn this thing around how do we get ourselves to decide that well governments are how we self organize and policies are how we do that and looking at the numbers it turns out a majority of Democrats want climate legislation that keeps us safe. A majority of Republicans actually want climate legislation that keeps us safe. I was surprised to see that. So it's actually a majority across the parties. What's holding us back is special interests and lobbyists from fossil fuel companies. So our message at Sphere to fossil fuel companies is that we will invest in you again if you lend us your lobbyists. Stop fighting against this legislation that would keep us safe come to the table participate in the conversation about what a world that doesn't exceed one and a half degrees of warming would look like and once we get legislation passed that puts a framework in place that limits warming to one and a half degrees then we'll invest in you again because we're fine with burning fossil fuels you know the problem isn't that we're burning fossil fuels the problem is that we're we're burning them with no limit once we put that limit in place uh, and we can burn them safely, then we'll invest in fossil fuel companies again. Okay. <laughs> that was a, that was a lot. I, I think I'm keeping up with it all. The two things it sounds like Sphere is doing that have impact are one, divesting from fossil fuel companies, and then saying we will reinvest or invest something if you stop lobbying for fossil fuels. If you stop lobbying for fossil fuels, and we then get legislation in place that keeps us safe. But yeah, that's what we're doing. So we're divesting and we're giving that roadmap to fossil fuel companies of how to earn our money back. Okay. Do you have this much of a plan? First off, have any fossil fuel companies sort of received your literature and said, okay, all right, we'll work on it. <laughs> After that, is the roadmap there for um, like metrics for them to accomplish and then get reinvested in? Yeah. So, um, we are brand new. We just launched our first product in the past few months, and we're just starting to become available on different investment platforms for people to invest in. And so our focus has been on launching that product. And in the meantime, I've been speaking with a few people in the fossil fuel industry, you know, just trying to get a feel for, is this realistic? Is this something like, how do you think we should engage with the fossil fuel companies? And we have a few advisors, you know, people that we're working with to, to work on that messaging. But since it's early days, we're more focused on just getting the product out there to start. And then we'll start actually sitting down and having meetings with the fossil fuel companies once the product is out there and rolling. And we, sh and we start getting investments which show, okay, people are voting with their money. People are showing that they actually care about this. I think we probably need to make the fossil fuel companies a little bit worried uh, before they'll take us very seriously. And so that's why the focus is on growing our, our product first. For your second question of, you know, like, what is the roadmap? It's, it's quite simple. There are two ways that companies can make their way back to being invested in. One is to stop having their primary source of business be fossil fuels. So if they do transition to a cleaner economy, then they'll no longer be classified as a fossil fuel company and we'll invest in them again. The second way is for them to engage with policymakers, figuring out that framework that would keep us safe and prevent the globe from warming more than one and a half degrees Celsius for that legislation to pass on a global scale. We're not just talking in the U.S. 
there needs to be an international agreement that limits the emissions of all countries across the world and has real teeth to it. It needs to be binding. And then we'll invest in fossil fuel companies again. You know, that's something that very smart people have been working on for a long time, is that type of international legislation. It just hasn't gotten there yet. We haven't made it, even though we've been getting closer every year, which is very exciting. So this is a way to incentivize the fossil fuel companies to really participate in a genuine way in that conversation on how do we get that legislation passed. I really love that there's that global aspect to that. Because it reminds me about recycling. I once watched this. Well, I listened to this NPR thing going through the recycling, like following a bottle to where it goes. And it really boiled down to we ship it off to China (laughs) and they burn it. And it's like, wait, that's what we're recycling? (laughs) I really like that idea of the global emissions standards being the way in. Because, yeah, I could easily see that, oh, the company sells off to some different country and just continues on doing. But then the part that's connected to the U.S., is appropriate for whatever our rules are. I really like that. And I also like all this that you mentioned fossil fuel companies are doing good things. We have an experiment where we're investing in different companies and I wanted a dividend paying utility company that was green energy. And so the one I picked was VST, which is heavily fossil fuels, but I picked them because they had the best green energy plans. Just what you alluded to earlier, that's how fund managers pick. It's like, which is the least harmful? Okay, we'll go with that. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. And I think what's changed between earlier in my career and now is the sense of urgency. Never have I been at a point where I realized, oh my God, we have seven years left to act. And I don't feel like the rest of the world, you know, you know, the fossil fuel companies, just industry in general, investment managers, I don't feel like they have that sense of urgency that we really need to have at this point. Uh, Maybe it's because I live in California and I'm experiencing wildfires every summer. People are experiencing extreme weather events wherever they are. I think that's why the numbers skyrocketed in terms of the number of people who are worried about climate change over the past few years have gone from, I think it was 30% of Americans were worried about climate change five or six years ago, and now it's 82%. That's a huge transition in a really short amount of time. And I think it's because we're all living it now. Well, growing up, I'm from Missouri originally, the short of this thing of like, if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes, you know, and it'll change. And I think now that probably everybody listening to this right now, regardless of where they are on the globe, probably can think of weird weather events or weird weather changes that are happening all the time. Having no facts to back me up, I agree with you. <laughs> the facts are there, I can reassure you. <laughs> and actually, while, while we talk about those facts, if anyone is curious about like, how do I know climate change is real? You know, or, you know, most people believe it's real and are worried about it now, but are like, how do I have the conversation with my like climate denier uncle or whoever? We, we've published a blog post on that topic. It just kind of points you to all the basic places with where if you're curious, the data is there on climate change, if you're interested in learning more. Alex, I love your optimism. You think providing data <laughs> will change people's minds. That is so wonderful. I know it's quaint, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> where do we where do we find that? I can put a, sh- a link. No, I just realized I posted that on Medium. I'll I'll share with you the links you can put in the show notes. You know, half of the piece is actually about the psychology of how do you convince people. <laughs> so we do start with the data, but you're right. It's it's about a lot more than that. Okay, Sphere, you've been out for a couple months. How much money do you have in your fund or how much money have people invested with you at this point? I'm just curious, like from a numbers game, like, is it one hundred thousand dollars? 
Is it a million? Is it $10? So we're brand new and small, which right to me, that means we're, we're at a million dollars right now. So we have a few kind of founding investors who helped us launch this fund. Really exciting people like Elliot Horowitz, who's one of the founders of a tech company called MongoDB. And actually this, uh, this other guy, Clay Rockefeller, who's the great grandson or great, great grandson of JD Rockefeller, who was the founder of Standard Oil, which is a giant oil company that ended up getting broken up because it was a monopoly into the companies that are now Exxon, Shell, et cetera. So one of the descendants and people who part of their fortune comes from oil uh, invested in this uh, product we created, which was exciting to us. You have a million dollars. That sounds great to me. I personally um, actually really like Sphere. And I, I actually like it a little bit more than the VEGN ticker that came from our uh, ethical investing episode. What is the ticker? What do you actually invest in or not invest in? And how can I invest? Like I, Ethan Steimel, after this episode, I want to go put some of my money and invest it to grow for myself in 30 years, 2052, Hamilton, 37th year. Where can I go do that? Um, so the ticker is SPFFX. And the name of this fund is the Sphere 500 Fossil Free Index Fund. So yeah, Sphere 500 Fossil Free Index Fund. And what we invest in is the top 500 US companies, in, uh, just like the S&P 500 is the top 500 US companies. And we chose that because it is one of the most popular index funds that exists in this country. We remove from that top 500 group, the fossil fuel companies of which there are about 40 using our definition. We don't come up with that definition ourselves. We use the definition created by a nonprofit called As You Sow, which runs a website called fossilfreefunds.org a hugely helpful resource to me when I was navigating how to find a climate-friendly fund for my last company's 401k. And so rather than us trying to decide, does a company count as a fossil fuel company or not? We decided, let's go with the definition of this nonprofit. They're unbiased. They do a great job. So we take the list of fossil fuel companies that they publish on their website, screen it against the top 500 list. That results in us removing about 40 or so companies, removing about 5% of the total market cap of the S&P 500. And then we keep the rest. So it's weighted by market cap, just like the S&P 500 is. So the higher a company is up on the list in terms of uh, how big they are, the more heavily we invest in them. And we have a very narrow definition of fossil fuel companies. So it's the companies that are extracting fossil fuels, distributing fossil fuels, refining them, making equipment for those purposes, and then also utilities that are primarily fossil fuel fired. I love that it's the S&P 500 because like you said, that's the most popular. That's what in our investing experiment on this show, that's what we have a big portion is, is just the S&P 500. IVV is the ticker we have. Well, we have an ETF, so not a mutual fund. So the expense ratio is 0.03%. Where does Sphere, ticker SPFFX, where does that expense ratio lie? Our expense ratio is 0.07%. That was a huge focus for me in setting up this product. I wanted to have a low expense ratio. And if you're listening and you don't look at expense ratios all day long, you might not know. You might be thinking, okay, 0.07 is higher than 0.03. That doesn't sound so low. But to give you some context, when I was looking for a fossil-free fund to put in the IR Labs 401k, the lowest price one I could find was a Calvert fund. So put out by a company named Calvert. 
and it was 0.65% expense ratio. So about 10 times what ours is. And that was the lowest. There are other ones out there that are 1.5%. These are all funds that are ESG funds, right? And and they're client-friendly and they're not investing in fossil fuel companies, which I love. I think that's great. But they're charging a really high premium for what they're doing. That makes it really hard to put those funds in 401k plans because 401ks are really price sensitive and it's important to be price sensitive in 401ks. Power of compounding interest goes both ways. So it can really hurt you in terms of your long-term retirement savings if you're paying a higher fee every year. And so it was really important to me to have a lower fee option available and it just, it didn't exist. And so that's why we created this product. So it's 10 times cheaper than the, than the next available fossil-free option. And if you look at kind of all the different S&P 500 index funds that are out there, they tend to be under 0.1%. So we, we made it and we were able to form partnerships with service providers, et cetera, and, and make this a simple enough product that we could be under the, the 0.1% threshold at 0.07%. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely love that it's 0.07%. And yes, that is double what our S&P 500 index fund is. However, we're investing in fossil fuels and gun manufacturers with that. <laughs> True. And and going back to our episode on ethical investing, so the fund that people, the index fund that people could get into, that fund has a 0.6% expense ratio. So that is exactly what you just said, pretty much 10 times what this one is, what Sphere is. So I feel really good that 0.07%, yes, that's higher than what we have at the moment. We're investing also in wine. That is like zero compared to what the fees we're paying on investing in wine. (laughs) 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 So, but 0.07%, like I, I support you in that. That's like a good, like I would be content putting all my retirement money into a fund that has 0.07%. I agree. Um, especially, especially because I can feel good about it, but really forget that part. From the fee perspective, I feel really good about that. Another thing, when I was researching the other ESG funds, but there was a number of ESG funds that had 0.4%. That's still, I don't know math, but it's still four or five times your the 0.7% is. Yeah. And, you know, there's a really good one I like called Etho. That's an ETF that's fossil free and and really fantastic. The annoying thing with 401ks is most of the big 401k platforms don't allow ETFs. They only allow mutual funds in in terms of the fund type that's allowed. And because ETHO ETF, which I think their expense ratio is 0.45%, because they're an ETF, they weren't allowed in our 401k plan. Um, So that's why the the least expensive one we could find was 0.65%. It was because it was a mutual fund, not an ETF. Gotcha, gotcha. The other problem with those ESG funds, they each speak to a different thing. None of them that I remember were fossil fuel focused, but it was like sort of just pick your poison of which of these ESG funds. You know, the combination of which is the ethical that you like, where's the cost ratio? I mean, I'm not getting paid by your company. I could care less how Sphere does in a sense. I mean, I I love you, Alex, but it has no impact on my life how Sphere does. But I very much am happy with this because it's sort of in a way what I'm looking for. The S&P 500 just done a little better so that I can feel better about myself and also actually sort of do something that's not nothing. Yeah. And I agree with you about the other issues too. Like we should not be forced to invest in the prison industrial complex. And so, you know, once we are successful with this fund, 
we are going to be rolling out more products and we'll be looking to our customers to ask them, what do you want to see? And then we'll be rolling those out. So we're not stopping with climate change. And talking about return, if you're mostly the S&P 500, does that mean your return is pretty much equal to the S&P 500 every year? Like, have you gone back and looked if we had started this 10 years ago, would we be equal with the S&P 500? So yeah, there are a lot of studies that show that fossil fuel companies have been underperforming the rest of the market for the past 40 years when you look at the long term. Uh, and so I was really interested to see if that would still be true when we did our 10-year backtest of our index. So we did that 10-year backtest and it did turn out to be true. Uh, so if you had invested in this strategy 10 years ago, you would have quite a bit more money than if you had invested in the S&P 500. And we have this graph on our, on our website. If you go to the index page, you can see that 10-year back test. So it, it's a pretty cool graph because it shows that, you know, kind of the ups and downs of the market of the S&P 500 also take place in our fund. It kind of goes up and down in the same places, but it's just consistently climbing a little bit faster than the S&P 500 over that long term. Okay, amazing. All right, Katie Berman, if you are listening to this, Katie is our data analyst for the show. I would love to do the 10-year backtest with Sphere. Our S&P 500 at 0.03% expense ratio. I would love to go back and see, okay, Sphere got a higher return. Did the double fees impact that or how much? And where does that land? Yes, 0.07 is double. However, it's such a better way. And if we're getting even higher return, then I'm sold. I'm sold, Alex. Yeah. So we have we have all the numbers on our website. So you can definitely go back and calculate that. And I believe the answer is you would still come out ahead. I mean, I don't know math, so that's why I got to call on Katie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm hoping I hoping she can sort of walk me through it at some point. As part of our S and P 500 index fund, we get dividends every quarter. I think it is. Are you getting dividends for Sphere? Yes, every quarter. So we've really mirrored everything the S and P does in our fund, except for the fossil fuels. So we also pay dividends. And you can choose to reinvest them or to take them out. That's your choice. And I assume whatever my 401k plan that invests in Sphere, they would handle that for me, right? Or does Sphere have to do that, the reinvestment on their own? The 401k plan would handle that for you. Yeah. This is something that you taught me before. We, we talked last week and, and you actually taught me this about the X on the SPFFX. So this is something I didn't know and it, it doesn't really matter. It's just a little detail that I, I was interested in. But you explained that that means mutual fund, the X. It does. I didn't know that either. But when we were choosing our ticker, I learned it had to end in X, which I kind of liked actually because SPFFX kind of sounds like, okay, S&P without you know X, the fossil fuels. So worked out. And then regarding fees, does being a mutual fund versus an ETF, does that affect the fees at all? Like, could you be even lower if you were an ETF or would that not really matter for how SPFFX works? That was such an interesting question that I dug into for like six months when I was looking at setting this up. The common wisdom of everyone out there, when you talk to people in the financial world who should know what they're talking about is oh yeah, of course, ETFs are going to be less expensive. ETFs are always less expensive than mutual funds. And so I thought it would be impossible to set up a low cost mutual fund, but I was really digging in trying to figure out, okay, why do mutual funds have to be more expensive? And it turns out they don't have to be. And actually, when you just get down to like the daily administration and what it costs to do that, mutual funds can be less expensive than ETFs because what an ETF is, is it's a fund that can be traded at any time throughout the day, just like a stock. 
whereas a mutual fund can only be traded once per day. Just having to support that ability to trade throughout the day costs a little bit more than only having to trade once per day. What usually makes mutual funds more expensive is, first of all, they're just a more old-fashioned type of fund. This is what used to exist, right? Pre-internet age, when people were doing you know, day trading all over the place, things just tended to be more expensive, right? When you had more human beings actively managing things. And mutual funds tend to be actively managed funds with high fees. Whereas when you look at index funds, they're more commonly ETFs, but there's no reason an index fund has to be an ETF. And then the other reason that mutual funds oftentimes are more expensive is because they have what's called share classes, different share classes, which is they basically charge a different expense ratio to different Mm. people. That doesn't sound cool. Wait a minute. I don't like that. I don't like the sound of this, Alex. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I was shocked at this. Um, And the way they choose who gets a, a lower expense ratio is if you work at a really big company, that company can negotiate a lower expense ratio. Uh, for its employees. Or if it's a really big institution, they're trying to convince just like a huge bank to invest or something, they'll they'll offer them a lower expense ratio. The the whole idea of expense ratios was set up to really be able to bake in these these fees for people who are selling the fund. So they get kickbacks, right? So this is kind of like the way investing worked back in the day before everything was democratized. There we go. That's the word. Democratized with the internet. And so what I learned was, okay, we have to set up a mutual fund, not an ETF, if we want it to be allowed on most 401k platforms. But we don't have to have different different prices, different expense ratios or share classes. It, It just seemed to be a little bit mysterious to me. And I really cared about the transparency aspect of this. So we decided, okay, we'll just have one share class. We'll price this like it's an ETF, even though it technically is a mutual fund. So that's how we decided to go about this. Alex, I love all these points you're bringing up. Episode 59 with David Martin Jacques, he explained that his financial advisor told him that mutual funds can often be less expensive than ETFs. Because that's something I also always say on the show is get an ETF, low cost, blah, blah, blah. For that same reason you're saying, it's like that's the general knowledge. But yes, indeed, I love this point, especially for people who can only choose 401k options. Like if you don't have an IRA, so you can't necessarily choose ETFs, all hope is not lost because there are plenty of mutual funds that are low cost. That is right. I'm impressed that you knew that already. But only because David Martin Jacques said it. And I thought he was crazy. And after the episode, I looked it up and by golly, he was correct. (laughs) Amazing. I'm impressed. And I never went on air to explain that he was indeed correct until now. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Fact checking done. Check that off the list. (laughs) Um, though I must say that whole fees being higher or lower, that's really rubbing me the wrong way right now. Because last week I was on a show I was lighting and we had a couple of electricians come in for a call and one of them got paid more than the others. And I just found that out today and I'm really upset about it. Like I'm really mad about it. I get mad about it too. I hate that. And I hate... I hate the whole process of, oh, we have to give kickbacks to people. It's, it is pretty antiquated, right? It's like these people, it used to be that the only way you could find out what to invest in was you had to have someone call you up and try to sell you on these funds. So I can understand why the system existed in the past, but it's so outdated now. There's no reason that we should have these kickbacks baked into pricing and only certain people able to access lower pricing. So I am 100% with you. All right, Alex, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm sold on Sphere. I support the mission. I support this. 
So can you strategize with me right now? So after this episode, if Ethan Steimel wants to go invest in Sphere, how exactly do I start? And let me explain a little bit about myself. I have an IRA, so I don't actually have a 401k. I'm afraid I might not be able to invest in Sphere. But how can how can people do it and where can they? Fear not, Ethan. You can invest. Anyone can. So you don't have to have a 401k to be able to invest in SPFFX. Let's first talk about if you don't have a 401k or if you do have a 401k, but you also invest outside of it. How do you go invest in this? So like I said, we're brand new. This is a nascent fund and we're just starting to become available on different investment platforms. So we've listed on our website what those platforms are that are available, and we'll keep updating that as we become available on more and more platforms. Currently, we're available on Vanguard and Interactive Brokers and directly from U.S. Bank, which is the bank that hosts and manages the money for us that's in the mutual fund itself. So if you already have an account with Vanguard or Interactive Brokers or U.S. Bank, you can just look up the ticker SPFFX and invest. It's as simple as that. If you do not already invest with one of those platforms, you can open an account with one of them. I've been doing that with all these new platforms or getting up and running on just to test out how it works. Um, and yeah, it's it's a little annoying. You have to spend you know a little bit of time setting up a new account, giving them all your information uh, and then transferring your money into that account. But then you just look up the ticker and invest. If you don't feel like doing that, something you can do is email customer service for whatever platform you're on and ask them to add SPFFX to the platform that you're on because they listen to customer demand. The more emails they get from people asking for a ticker to be added, the more likely they are to add it. It might take a little bit of back and forth. They might reply initially and say, oh, we don't offer that. Here's what we offer. And then you really should reply and say, I understand that you don't offer it. I've taken a look at what you offer. I would like to invest in this in particular. Can you please submit a request to the committee that reviews these requests. And then the customer service person will usually do that. So you can do that with whatever platform you're on. It'll help It'll help us get available on more platforms. Now to talk about 401ks, it's similar. Your employer has to decide to make this available in your company's 401k. And so if your employer hasn't already decided to do that, you can help nudge them in that direction by sending your HR person an email and saying, hey, I would love to be able to not invest in fossil fuel companies. I'm really concerned about climate change. There's this new mutual fund uh, with the ticker SPFFX that makes it possible to avoid investing in fossil fuel companies. Can you please add it to our 401k menu of options? And typically what will happen is the HR person meets with 401k committee, usually about once quarterly, and discusses these types of requests from employees. They decide whether to add uh, new options based on employee requests in those quarterly meetings. Email your HR and, you know, if you really want to improve the the chances of success, get a few colleagues to email HR as well. And, um, you know, there, there's a better chance that they'll add that. And we have a few resources on our website to help with that as well. We have an example email to HR you can take a look at. We also have some FAQs. So if you get questions or, or comments from HR that you're wondering how to respond to, you can look at what we uh, advise on our website as well to help. And you can always reach out to us as well. It's just hello at rspear.org with any questions and we're happy to help. All right, this is Fantastic, because I I know definitely that a number of listeners actually have their retirement accounts with Vanguard. Those people have this option already. 
I don't know anybody on Interactive Brokers. And then US Bank, I TMI for my own life, but I actually have an account with them, but not a brokerage or a retirement account. And then another thought on like USA 829 is my union. We have the pension there. We don't get to choose what funds the pension holds. But USA 829 is made up of a number of people who do care about climate change. So I imagine we could probably email them and say, hey, think about it. You absolutely can and you should. And you know, there's this um, amazing trend happening where more and more pension funds are choosing to divest. So if you just look up New York State Pension Fund, which is one of the biggest pension funds in the world, or the New York City Pension Fund, they both decided to divest from fossil fuels. As I was mentioning before, it's not just a good ethical decision, it's a smart financial decision. And so the, the people managing those pension funds saw that and decided to do that. So you can even, if you want, send links to articles talking about that to your pension fund manager and say, hey, I care about this. I would like my pension fund to be divested from fossil fuels. And depending on the size of the pension fund, they either, you know, if they're huge, like the state of New York, they hold stocks individually. They're not investing in a mutual fund like ours. But if they're a smaller pension fund, that's not so enormous. It's it's possible that they do hold mutual funds. So you can share our mutual fund as an option for them. I'm not vested in our pension yet. So I need to find somebody who is vested and have them email. They might have more clout than me. I would say email anyway, because you know, you're still a customer, right? Like you're someday you will be vested. The more emails they get, the better, right? Email your email someone else as well as send the email yourself. All right. If anybody runs into me in real life, say, have you emailed about the USA pension and getting SPFFX on there? And uh, I'll answer truthfully. (laughs) (laughs) This is how I keep myself accountable for things. The other thing is for anybody in the USA 829 system or IATSE, there is a 401k. For designers, it's not an automatic thing. You have to go request to be put into the 401k. A lot of IATSE members are automatically put in the 401k. That is another option where you actually can choose what you're investing in. So anybody with a 401k through the union, you can email the union and say, hey, can you add SPFFX because I want to put my money in there for 30 years. Okay, so yes, Vanguard, no to Fidelity, Edward Jones, Robinhood. You said no to Robinhood. Why can't I do it on Robinhood? (laughs) Robinhood doesn't have mutual funds at all. They only have ETFs. Okay. Is that the same for like Webull and... What about M1 Finance? Do you know them? This is where it becomes apparent that I don't have a background or history in the financial industry. I actually have no idea. So I will look it up after this. M- M1 Finance. I hate Webull. I hate that app. <laughs> I find it so clunky. It's for day traders and that's not me. M1 Finance, that's a good one because it's long-term people and they only let you trade once a day. So whatever you say, put my money into this, they'll do the trade at like the end of the day or it might even be like once a week that they do it, something like that. So I suspect that one would definitely have mutual funds. And it's geared at people that are putting their money away forever, not day trading. I'll look into it. Um, yeah. And this is just for you. For uh, I listen to this show called The Investors Podcast. Um, many more listeners than me by a bazillion. Uh, they would be a good one for you to talk on. And I'm saying that because they advertise for M1 Finance constantly. Another podcast for you that's connected to that is called Millennial Investing. It's sort of done by the same people, so it has the same reach. Um, But definitely the millennials are probably into this. So that would definitely be a good one for you to be on. Okay, and then Earn Your Leisure is just one I really, really love. They would be a good one for you to be on as well. They're they're a little all over the place. 
because of that, you might be a really good one done. So I recommend all three of those for you to sort of reach out to. Thank you. I will definitely look into all of them. Yeah. these are, Those are the ones I listen to. Is there anything I missed or we didn't talk about before we wrap up here? I think so. We aced it. We totally, 100%. Just our website. Our website is rsphere.org. I know I sent people to the website multiple times during our conversation. So that's worth mentioning. I know. I think this was good. Our sphere. O-U-R-S-P-H-E-R-E dot org. That's right. Our sphere. Now to just wrap this up, some financial advice and things from you. Um, what financial advice could you give to anybody that's starting out in their career right now? Tell me predictable, but invest in your 401k. It is something that just will pay off. Your future self will thank you. You already went into why investing is good at the start of this episode. But I think something that a lot of people don't realize is that investing in your 401k, maxing out your 401k before you invest anywhere else is a really, really smart move. And the reason for that is that it's pre-tax money. So let's say you get 30 to 40% of your paycheck uh, taken out with with taxes and withholding. So that's 30 to 40% less money that you have to invest if you're doing it not in your 401k. And that has a huge impact beyond the 30 to 40%, because if you think about it, Okay, you're investing 30 to 40% more if you're doing it pre-tax. And then on top of that, that 30 to 40% is earning interest. So with compounding interest year over year on that 30 to 40%, it actually can become tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars more that you save for retirement just because you're doing it on a pre-tax basis. Invest in your 401k, max out your 401k. And even if you're just starting your career and it seems like retirement is so far away, just put a tiny amount. You can just put a tiny, you can put 1% of your, of your salary in the 401k. Just do something. And then each time you get a raise in life, each time your salary goes up, put some portion of that increase towards an increase in your 401k and your future self will really thank you. All right. I love that. And I'll speak to the gig workers here. Anytime you get on a good gig and you can set a little extra aside, totally do that. Act like you're on the, the less paying gig. So keep that amount and then invest the, the surplus. I also love that you brought that up because I'm always saying Roth IRA, every artist should open a Roth IRA. If you have a 401k, I suggest opening a Roth 401k. And that's me, I think, being an artist where at any point it's like, well, I'm making the least amount of money right now, so I might as well take advantage of the Roth. But I like what you say because I, I always say it's the setting aside that's important. Yes, investing it wisely is good. Yes, investing it in the right place is good. But the real important thing is that you are saving a portion always. So even if you're pulling it aside and putting it in bonds or fixed income or cash, which all sound like horrible things to invest in, but even if you're doing that, as long as you're setting it aside, that's like the best step that you can make. And so layering onto that what you said, which is pick the right account, because actually if you're putting it in a tax-deferred account, if you're making that the priority, then you can save X amount more. Yeah. So, okay, last question. You sort of answered already, but last question here. Where can people connect with you? And if you give us that answer, who do you want to be connecting with you? I want everybody to connect with me. And you can do that by emailing hello at rsphere.org. Reach out to your HR or your union or your the pension manager. Or if you invest with Fidelity, reach out to Fidelity Customer Service. And if they're giving pushback, if you're not really sure how to respond, 
email us at hello at rsphere.org and we'll help you navigate it. We want to help everybody join this movement and then become leaders of this movement within your own organization because it makes an impact to divest your own money from fossil fuels. It definitely makes an impact, but what makes an even bigger impact is if you make this option available to everyone in your organization because there could be millions, even billions of dollars being invested in your 401k plan or your pension plan. And so if you get that entire organization to have this option available, you could be moving millions or even billions of dollars out of fossil fuel companies. That is just a huge impact you can have to help help solve the climate crisis. So reach out and don't hesitate. We want everyone to join the movement. Alex, I am so glad you were here today and I really love it. I'm fully on board. And part of that is because this is an actionable thing. Again, I was so sad after that ethical investing episode because it was like, I have no solutions here. <laughs> I have nothing. I'm sure there's flaws and spheres. Uh, I'm, I'm sure. But what I love about it is, one, I can actually get behind this fund and I can really get behind where you're going with this. In the future, in five years, when you have 10 different funds and I can say to somebody, hey, here is one that actually does not invest in guns. This one does not invest in prisons. Like I can't, I can't wait for that stage of sphere. And if there's any financial advisors listening, which there aren't because they would be crying at the things I say, this is something that they can take and say, hey, we can get SPFFX into our funds and we can actually recommend that to people. And I say that because we have asked our financial advisor this question of how can we do something good? And the answers aforementioned were not really good. And that's why we're in the S&P 500. So I really love this just for, for so many reasons because it's an actual choice that I can feel good about. So anyway, Alex, I'm fully on board and I'm just so glad to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much for, for taking so much time with me here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to, to be sharing this with your community and I really appreciate you having me on. That's it for this week's episode. Let me know what you think over on LinkedIn. I'll make a post about this episode and would love for any comments to go there. If you liked the show, please consider becoming a patron. You can pledge $3, 5 or $10 a month, and you'll get the outtakes from today's show, as well as early releases of the episodes. Certainly no obligation, but you can do that at patreon.com slash artistic finance. That's the best way to support me, as I get 93% of the money after fees, and 25% of those funds are invested directly to 26 other artists that we are supporting. If becoming a patron isn't your thing, there are two other ways that you can lend artistic finance a hand. Tell somebody about the show or purchase some merchandise from our gift shop that has our logo on it. We have everything you could possibly want. We have phone cases, water bottles, backpacks, and anything else you might want. I was having trouble printing the thin lines from the logo, so I modified it slightly for our merch. So if you go and see it's a little different, that is why. Now that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Until next week, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.